The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Welcome to Shaken and Stirred. I'm Nigel Barker and I'm with my friend Tom Astor. Tom, how are you, mate? I'm very well, thanks, Nigel. Yeah, good. Out here in um, Oxfordshire, we had our coldest night for 25 years last night. Got down to minus 22 degrees centigrade. And I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. I think you use Fahrenheit then. Wait a second, minus 22, did you say? Yes, minus 22 degrees centigrade. That's Canadian cold. Quite near where your mother lives, actually. So I hope you've rung and checked up if central heating's working. Up in Scotland. Wow, that is something, that's incredible. Actually, when degrees get that close, when Celsius gets that close, that, that low, I mean, rather, it, it becomes the same as Fahrenheit. It's a weird system, right? So 20, <laughs> minus 22 degrees Celsius is about minus 25 degrees Fahrenheit, which is bitterly cold. It's Arctic North Pole style cold. Yeah, yeah. So no wonder, no wonder you look the way you do today. I was wondering whether, you know, it was either an Arctic blast or you'd put your foot into a plug socket, you know, and got an electric shock. I've just got out of a hot bath, so I'm feeling a little, I'm, I'm warmed up a bit. That might be what it is, that little pink hue. I, I like it though. I mean, it seems to be yeah. working for you. So Tommy boy, we have an interesting show today. We are going on a little adventure. Let's start with a drink. What are you drinking? I'm drinking one of my favourites, a sidecar. Oh, very nice. How did you make it? Cointreau, cognac and lemon juice in equal measure. Shaken, not stirred, in a martini glass. And I put, we put a little bit of sugar around the rim just to kind of get, because it's, it's a very bitter cocktail, but a little sh- sugar on the rim. Kind of like sweetens it up a bit, but it's, uh, you can't drink very many of them. You could, I mean, because you're just drinking neat, basically triple second cognac and lemon juice. So, you know, you could add and, and, and the history again is debatable. It first appeared around the 1930s, towards the end of Prohibition, three years before the end of Prohibition. And is it named after an English captain in Paris who used to order this at the Ritz? And he used to drive around on a motorcycle with a sidecar. Again, like so many cocktails that we try and test on the show, the provenance is always kind of slightly questionable. Well, not always, but occasionally people fight over where, you know, where it came from. But first recorded in, in 1930. And yeah, and, and delicious. What do you have? It is delicious. It is. It actually, a sidecar is one of my favorites as well. It's a, it's a really a good one. It's a, it's a classic, one of my favorites. And now I'm almost a bit jealous. I thought I was doing something rather special. I kind of did do something rather special. I was experimenting with a bottle of Balveni that I got. And for those of you out there, I mean, Balveni's, I mean, I've talked about it many times on, on Shaken and Stirred, one of my favorite whiskeys, and they have an incredible range. And I first got introduced to it by my mother, who used to always bring me a bottle at Christmas as a gift when she would come through duty-free to visit me. And I've sort of now got quite a collection of, you know, all kinds of different ones, double woods and the 17-year, 19-year Caribbean cask, this cask, that cask, you name it, they've got it going on over there. And it, they all have their own unique slight flavors to them. But they've recently done a collaboration with Quest Love. And it, it was very cool. They sort of sent me this huge hamper of interesting kind of paraphernalia for making food, actually, for cooking with. And they also gave us this bottle of whiskey. And I thought, well, I'm going to make a Manhattan. And I made a sweet Manhattan using um, the Balveni. By the way, this is a stirred drink, not a shaken drink. And I was serving it in a coupe. And I've got Angostura bitters, a couple of dashes in there. I've got sweet vermouth 
you know, that's really about it. I mean, sweet vermouth, it's, it's basically two shots of the Balvenie, sweet vermouth, one quarter shot, a couple of dashes of the Angostura, and um, stirred and then, you know, into a frozen glass with a, a twist of lemon. So very simple, quite delicious, and cheers. Mm, delicious. Well, a little bit of booze news to get us going. A rather fun piece of booze news actually shared with me this time by one of our producers. And it's kind of interesting. I, I'm going to get her working on booze news more often. As soon as it came through, I was like, huh, like this one. This is great. This is a good story. This is a feel-good story. We like this. By the way, I'm going to expose her once again. Anna Marie is her name. Yeah, she found this. Oh, by the way, talking about Anna Marie, you know, for the benefit of everyone listening, that the other day we had a guest on our podcast who she wanted to meet but didn't want to meet. And, and, and we got her on the podcast where she was brilliant. And... I just spoke to her today before before coming on to this podcast, and it's a bit like today's guest. She's a bit of a fan of today's guest and what he does. Let's not give it away quite yet. And I said, well, hang on, we're going to get you back on. And she said, you know, she'd learned something. Never meet your heroes. And I've got to give her a big full credit for coming to that realisation herself. It's just so disappointing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Very disappointing. So for our guest who, who who you met, let's just hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. So moving swiftly on. Um, well, no, having said that, she'll never know whether this could have been the one that did disappoint. You know what, Anna-Marie, do not live with regrets. This is not booze news, this is just a fact of life. But I want to move on to what is booze news, and that is the fact that Ryan Reynolds, P. Diddy, David Beckham are pledging $1 million to bartenders. You know why? Because they're sick and tired of mixing gross cocktails in quarantine. It's quite brilliant, really. You know, obviously all of those guys are very, very famous, but they're all known for their own drinks. You know, they've got their gins, they've got their whiskeys. You name it, they've got, got it going on. But they have created this really hilarious video of themselves mixing a drink containing Diddy's De Leon tequila, Beckham's Hague Club whiskey, and uh, Reynolds Aviation American Gin, uh, which clearly is going to make a disgusting drink, guys, by the way. But anyway, the whole point is it's this quarantine thing. They're in, it's in support of all the bartenders out there who are out of work, all these mixologists. And they're like, you know what? We're sick and tired of this pandemic, mixing our own cocktails, then tasting filthy, and we're going to raise a million dollars and give it to the Bartenders Association. And they're actually giving it to a bunch of different groups that have been helping bartenders. One's called Another Round, Another Rally. The other one's called the Bartenders Nelevant Fund, and that's in Canada. And actually, the Drinks Trust UK. So they're giving a US, Canadian, and UK funds that help bartenders so it's brilliant mixologists million bucks so well done guys that's it's very very cool you've got to check out the video it's on youtube it's hilarious they've done a good job some real characters and they all end up spitting their cocktail which is not what i'm doing i'll have you know i'm not going to be spitting out my cocktail they actually taste delicious on the back of that and i'm gonna use to use your favorite word segue i read something about some little booze news that happened near you near where you live in upstate new york this People rent, renovating a house. This is a happen of the, 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 I think, tail end of last year. They were renovating a house and they were doing their mudroom and they were taking the pounding off the wall. When they bought this house, they've been told all sorts of stories that it had been built by a count, an English count, it had been built by a bootlegger, it had been built by this and that. Anyway, you know, one of those pretty old houses up, up in upstate New York. 
doing the run, took the panelling off and discovered 66 bottles of very carefully wrapped whiskey called, I don't know if you've heard this story, called Smugglers. I have. And they found, they found this whiskey behind the panelling. Obviously, clearly now they know that the house was owned by a bootlegger. But what I was thinking, what, what kind of ties it into what you just said is the fact that Prohibition has started, and this is very relevant to what we're doing with our podcast. I think it should actually going forward form a central, you know, it should be our sort of mantra. hundred years ago, last year, when we started doing our podcast, was the anniversary of the beginning of Prohibition. And it's not something that we've kind of highlighted too much because honestly, the advent of cocktails came about through, some say through Prohibition and then spread to spread to Europe. Uh, although Europe perhaps was doing a bit of cocktailing anyway. But isn't it amazing that after a hundred years of the basic invention of the, of the cocktail as we know it today, people still can't make drinks and rely on rely on mixology, mix bartenders to do it. Well, I mean, I mean it, it is remarkable, but it also goes to speak that that's why cooking shows and, and chefs are so important too. I mean, let's face it, the average person is pretty darn hopeless at mixing anything, including making food. I mean, there are, you know, cookbooks on how to boil an egg, for goodness sakes. It's because people are, generally speaking, relatively hopeless when it comes to actually sort of precise measures or any of that kind of stuff, or even just feeling it out, just sort of having a sense of flavors. You know, there are certain people who get it. And, you know, with a mixologist, you know that they've got all those flavors and tastes of all those drinks all the bitters or you know what, what it might do if you would add a tiny bit of olive juice if you would put a bit of a maraschino cherry juice you know if, if you're going to stir it versus shake it you know all of these things how it's going to affect the food the, the drink you know say likewise a, a top chef would know whether you're going to flambe whether you're going to pressure cook whether you're going to fry whether you're going to saute whether you're going to roast whether you're going to bake it's the similar thing when most of us are just like Huh? You don't just yeah. put it all in together and try, shake it? You know, it's like, no. I, but I think the, these guys, you know, the David Beckhams and the, um, you know, these actors, they, what they should do is put a, a book together of cocktails using their brands and their products, put a book out there with their Ryan Reynolds, David Beckham, I mean, you know, with their names on it, so it's going to sell, right? Put their favorite cocktails on and then donate all the proceeds of the sale of that book to bartenders around the world. So. Maybe let's get this message. I mean, that's obviously makes much more sense than just chucking a cash at the situation. Wonderful suggestion, Tom. Although I do think that the bartenders may want their money now, not after the book's been published and with the hope that it actually sells. But you hey, get with the times. I like it. You know, old school, let's make a book. That's always a very fast way to get anything done. You know what? In the meantime, our guest today is... <laughs> He's described by Bravo TV as the resident party animal. Although with a marriage looming and several business ventures booming, this lover boy might need more than a hard tea to continue shaking and stirring. Here to spritz up the show, please welcome actor, entrepreneur, and star from Summer House, Kyle Cook. Kyle, how are you? Oh my God, that intro. Thank you so much. <laughs> now, is it Kyle or is it Kylie? Let's go with um, Keel. Keel, even Keel. I love it. I think I'm just going to call you Lover Boy. What are you drinking, Lover Boy? Lover Boy works. You know, can I? I know I'm, I was late, but can I run to my fridge, which is behind me, and crack a Lover Boy? Please. I would expect no less of an endorsement and product placement in the show than this. Don't rush, literally. I, I'm actually hoping that we actually get sponsored by Lover Boy for the next season. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm back. That's the benefit of a New York City apartment. Look at the sound of that. There's a sound. That's our spritz. Nice. There you go. There's a spritz. So, lover boy, is this your nickname? This is where the name of the drink came from? Well, I wasn't always a lover boy, as, as a couple of the seasons early on depicted. 
<laughs> but when, when I decided to dive all the way in and, and create a, a beverage, I wanted it to be an extension of me. I wanted it to be fun. I didn't want it to be too, too serious. And I wanted it to be memorable. And we started with about 125, 150 names. And this is the only one that literally made me laugh out loud because I was just envisioning me trying to have serious business conversations. And it's starting out with, this is Kyle from Loverboy. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't like a funny nickname. It was like a pick name that you kind of boiled it down to like, this is going to be a funny one to have a business meeting. That's an unusual one. I love it. Look, naming is challenging. And it just, it, the more I thought about it, the more I loved it. And, uh, Trust you know, me. I fully understand, Kyle. I fully, that's why my mother named me Nigel or Nigel or Nigel or Nigel. <laughs> Um, I, I, you know, it, it, it can be a challenge and you have to live with the name that you were given. And, uh, you know, there's, in England, there's even an insult where people actually call you a right Nigel. But sorry, Kyle, Kyle, Kyle can I just point Bunny at this point and say that the name Nigel, as we, we've covered this before, but I just feel in case you haven't heard, not, the name Nigel is one of the very few name, names in the in, in English language that I think, I'm not sure about last year, but I think it was a year before Nigel, Nigel was approached by the English press and asked about the fact that Nigel, the name Nigel, hadn't been registered once in the UK for that, that past year. And it seemed to be one of those names that wasn't terribly popular anymore. So it's quite a good, quite a good part. We've we got Loverboy, we've got the pop, how you got to your name, and then we've got Nigel, whose name has, is basically, he's the last, he is the last Nigel, one of the last. The last Nigel standing. I was going to say, like, last of the Mohicans, the last Nigel. You know, and we were going to make a whole thing about it. In fact, that might be my next podcast. It might be my next show. It will be, you know, we're going to go out into the world to discover all the other Nigels out there. But this is not a show about me, Kyle. This is actually, we're going to be talking about you here. And, and, and I think, you know, it, it's, it's sort of fascinating in a way that you, you're on a show like Summer House that has kind of exploded in a way. And, and there are people everywhere talking about your show and everyone in our production are super excited to have you on. And, you know, in fact, there's a lot of giggling about, oh, Kyle's coming on and what have you. And, you know, is that been an unusual experience for you? I mean, you're in the middle of it now, but that whole process of, because, I, you know, I've actually worked on television for years as well. And, you know, there is that element of like, do you ever actually get used to it? Or is it always, is it, are you at that point now where it's just normal? Good point. Well, I haven't had to really deal with any of that for the last year because of COVID. <laughs> like, like, it's not like people are coming up to me at the bar because, you know, no one's at the bar. No, but I think, you know, early on, we were like, a, you know, a kind of an up and coming new, new show on the Bravo Network. And we weren't a franchise show. We weren't, uh, sorry, we weren't a, a housewife franchise show. We weren't part of the below deck or, you know, Vanderpump concept where you have a you know, a staff or a team working together. It was kind of something new. And I think we had to just pay, patiently wait for the audience to grow and people realize, wow, this is, this is different and it's enjoyable and it's relatable. This is about people that work hard and play hard. And it's been so much fun. I sometimes kind of forget that it's abnormal to be on TV because it just, at this point, just feels part of, you know, the day-to-day. -day. I mean, I guess part of that is because we were always going out to the Hamptons before we started filming, you know, my group of friends. And then we just kept on doing what we're doing and did it on TV. <laughs> you mentioned relatable. I mean, in all due respect, I mean, I go to the Hamptons too, and I love it. And it's a great place, but 
there are a lot of people who clearly don't go to the Hamptons, right? So it's sort of a, yes, they work hard, but they, you know, the average person work hard does not go to get to the, go to the Hamptons. It does, you know, they luckily they go to McDonald's on a Saturday, right? So you know, <laughs> it's it's not quite the same thing. Well, like, you guys are living in a in an alter, you know, a universe that other people fantasize about living in. Sure. Don't make the mistake that like this is the the life that I kind of grew up in. I mean, I'm from New Hampshire. I thought when I thought of the Hamptons, I was thinking like Great Gatsby, like old money. You only wear white and like your Gucci slippers. It's actually, you know, it's way more laid back than you think. And when, you know, when we started going out, you know, almost 10 years ago, we would split the cost of a house among, my God, 20 friends. So that made it approachable. The relatable part, I think, is just like we're all people that hold down real jobs, whether it's our own company or you know, working for a big, you know, corporate company. I mean, Amanda worked for an international skincare company for four years while filming a TV show. And the the relatability is just balance. Like we all live busy lives doing different things. And, you know, for us, the show never consumed our lives. It was like ancillary. We kept on working and we kept on playing. How was that? What was that like? So, I mean, that it, it's, it's, a, it's a big thing to do what you've done. I mean, it, you know, to let the cameras in on your life to film all those moments. I mean, yeah, I get it, the fun aspect for when you first do it. It's like, uh, you know, this is the novelty factor, you know, and, you know, the cameras are everywhere and you're like, it's funny to see yourself on camera and you're, you know, you're messing around with your friends and you're in a house and you're like, oh my God, look, it's like the best video of all time of, of your, you know, something that happened in your life, but then it becomes a thing. Right? Yeah. And now it's like, you know, people are probably auditioning to be a part of your house, I would imagine, even or like, can I be a guest to come on or something, you know? You know, I'll be your friend. Let me in the summer house. I, yeah, it's it's kind of funny. It's almost as if like, you know, all those like old school, like home videos that you'd, you'd shoot, but you'd forget to edit. Well, imagine if they were like taken in HD and then you hire a professional editor. I mean, that's kind of what it feels like when we watch summer house. Because <laughs> it's just like, now we're, we're reliving our summer. And not much was missed because of all the surveillance. So it's, it's, it's pretty fun. I mean, do you have an opportunity to script any of it? I mean, I, there must be elements where there are sort of underlying storylines that are coming into it. I, I mean, I, clearly things are always happening in one's life in general, but when I mean, you have enough interesting people around, there's probably stories just popping up here and there. But you know, is that something where, is, is that how you had predicted it would be? Or is that just the way you ended up, you know, just being able to have your own stories? I mean, I, I came into this, never really watching Bravo and probably I had some pre misguided assumptions about reality television. I mean, I got to give Bravo credit. Like every show has a real degree of authenticity. There's no scripting. We don't even use that word. So what I want to say to that is our show is, is pretty unique because it's easy to get in your own head, particularly if, you know, you film, you know, a lunch where you have a big blowout fight with your friend and then you don't see him until, you know, the next day. On our show, everything is just unfolding in real time. You can't get in your own head because that's that'd be pretty time consuming, consuming and, and nerve wracking. Like you can't take the time to think about what you're going to say in real life. So how would you be able to do it on camera? And our our show just films twenty four seven. So what you see is what you get. And I think as a result, some of the fights and drama and whatnot get reconciled a little more quickly because we're all under one roof and. If it doesn't get reconciled, it, it kind of brings the mood down for everybody. So I think what, what you find with Summer House is that it's about as real as reality television is going to get because the cameras just roll. 
it's interesting, you know, that when I you hear something like that, and you know, you talked about the general fascination with what you guys are doing and all the rest of it, and perhaps the relatability and what have you. But do you think there's also an aspect of just the fact that you're even doing it? That's a lot, 24-7, you know, cameras constantly rolling, you're used to it. It's like living in a fishbowl. I mean, it's yes, sure, people would probably would, you know, are fascinated and all, but they're also probably just like. There's some aspect of my God, like you put yourself into that. Not to mention you're like engaged now, you're like falling in love on camera, yeah. like so much is happening, right? In the moment, you, you immediately kind of forget the cameras are there. Also, that's aided by uh, alcohol. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it really isn't until you rewatch it where you're like, oh my God, what was I thinking? How did I let myself do that? And then usually you're like, oh, alcohol. But I, I know it, sounds like a foreign concept, but believe it or not, when you kind of insert yourself and just don't get in your own head and be true to who you are, it's the easiest job in the world, which is why I'm sure a lot of people choose to just focus on reality television once they get into it. But for me, I was just like, hey, what better platform to, to show people what I'm about? I've got an MBA. I start companies, um, you know, and Loverboy is something that I put all my blood, sweat, and tears, not to mention a shit ton of cash to actually get started. And I think one of the cool things about our show is you get a little glimpse into, you know, me building this company from scratch. And I think that also makes it relatable. Like we're not just coasting along here as if we're like, you know, high paid stars. Like, no, I'm, I'm working 18 hour days. <laughs> you can I ask you something? You because you you mentioned a minute ago. You said when you look back and you're like, Christ, why did I say that? You know, oh shit, I was you know alcohol. You know, I had this. Uh, we did a podcast recently, and I got on today with the podcast. I was like, Jesus, a kid today. I've tried not to have a drink before it because last time I can't remember what I said. But I can't bear personally. I can't. I've never listened or watched or done any to anything that so like the podcast we're going to do today. It's a conversation we're going to have today, and then. I, I won't listen to it again because I already obviously to me I already had the conversation. I don't really don't want to look at myself or listen to myself. Do you look at what you've done, what you shot, and are you involved in the kind of editing process? I mean, because it's reality, it's kind of reality TV, right? It's happened, it's happening in real time, there's real stuff going on. Do you go back and get involved in that part of it? Oh god, no. I mean, the A, I'm not allowed to. B, I, I mean, it's a colossal effort. You have, particularly on our show, you have so much footage because the cameras are just rolling. I don't care if they're the only thing in the room is a fly so uh what you wind up with is i'm like for example we have an episode that airs tonight and i'm so excited to see it because i only know what i was doing that day but there's nine other people in the house and it's a nine thousand square foot house and it's like a i kind of forget what happened this is actually this episode has my birthday in it so i know exactly when it was it was august 4th of last summer here it is. What is it? February 11th. We're just barely watching that now. You think I remember what the heck I did on my birthday? Actually, weirdly enough, this birthday, I do remember. <laughs> but when you watch back, are you sitting there? Are you like, I mean, is it a pleasurable experience or is it like slightly great? To, I mean, I think it's pure entertainment because it's like a highlight reel of your life. And you're also seeing the highlight reel of some of your best friends. Many a times you're not even with them when they're going through what they're going through, like, you know, on the TV. I mean, sure, there's really cringeworthy moments because everybody has them, whether you're on camera or off. <laughs> but there's also the potential, though, to, to change the storyline to some extent as an editor, right? You, you can, if there were that many storylines going on, there are ways to perhaps overemphasize something that's happened 
to dramatize an element of, you know, by the music, by slow-mo or by a cut or by cutting from one moment to another. Does that happen a lot? Or how does, how do you know whether it's, that was the true essence? Well, look, I think I've been doing this now for five years. I've never felt like things were manipulated in a way where it was not according to what happened at the end of the day. There's only so many minutes in an hour. So they, you know, when you watch summer, it's really, you aren't seeing my, my whole summer. That'd be impossible. Right. Cause you would have a TV show to watch for the you know next ten years. I, I describe reality television as like a highlight reel. You know, you're going to see the highs, you're going to see the lows, and you're going to see everything in between. And I've I've never felt like what aired wasn't true to kind of what happened. It's just like, well, you know, I guess that's kind of what they focused on because I was standing at my stand up desk all day doing doing work for Lover Boy, and that that wasn't interesting on on that Thursday. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's go deep into into lover lover boy. I mean, clearly we love a good cocktail on shaken and stirred, and we're always you know. such an unfortunate. We start that conversation. Yeah, let's go deep into lover boy. Is not a way to start a sentence. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> this is a family podcast. No, it's not. I, what I love about love, the word lover boy is it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And you know, Tom, you interpret it one way. That that's your prerogative, my man. <laughs> I think it's great. There you go. I think he just read you, Tom. <laughs> I know, but I think it's great as well. I think the explanation at the beginning of how you whittled it down from 150 days is, I, I'm going to call this one. I mean, come on, it's got to have been a nickname. Um, it it, it's, it come on. has become one. I Believe it or not, it wasn't when we started this. I was going through some challenges in my life that would make me the opposite of a lover boy. And if this is a family podcast, I, I won't no, use it's that not. F word. <laughs> no, you can't. Please do. It's not. <laughs> Yeah, but it's becoming a nickname and I'm very proud of it. Well, as you know, we love the history of booze on the Shaken and Stirred show. So you can imagine how thrilled we are to share that today's episode is brought to you by Ransom Spirits, the creators of the first Old Tom Gin in the United States. Ransom Spirits is also a serious player in the whiskey game with its flagship, the Emerald distilled in their handmade, direct-fired Alembic pot still at their certified organic farm and distillery in Oregon. The award-winning emerald matures in a mix of French and American oak for three years and is hand-bottled, waxed, and labeled. Sounds delicious and smooth, right? Well, Ransom Spirits is giving shaken and stirred listeners, that's you, 20% off and free shipping on a minimum two bottle order with code shaken and stirred. While I plan on getting a bottle of the Emerald for myself, there are also so many other options to choose from, from their dry gin, Old Tom Gin, RBW whiskey, and their Whipper Snapper whiskey. That sounds perfect for the snapper himself. Ransom Spirits has a high quality spirit for every occasion. Use code shaken and stirred at checkout on ransomspirits.com for 20% off your order of two bottles or more, plus free shipping. Cheers. You mentioned a little bit about the sort of genesis of, 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 the, of the concept and what have you, but you know, clearly the whole marketplace for things like alcoholic teas and seltzers and, you know, spiked seltzers and all that kind of stuff has boomed, has gone sort of colossal. Were you 
very much a sort of aware of that? And how are you trying to differentiate other than like with a cool name and cool logo and stuff? What was it about the flavors or, you know, that you thought you were bringing to it? Yeah. So, I mean, a cool name and, and cool logo will only get you maybe that first purchase. It's got to be the liquid that brings people back. So when I kind of conceptualized this in, what was it? It was 2018 where, where I started working with Amanda and, you know, in an actual food lab, putting together the original recipes and flavors. I knew I could see the writing on the wall because we're in a slightly influential position drinking alcohol on a TV show, right? So I already know what's trendy. And I was looking at hard seltzers, which we had been already drinking for two years at that point. And I was like, this is going to be the next light beer. Like this is going to change the game, but I don't want to be just another hard seltzer. What can I do to differentiate? And so the way I describe Loverboy and our sparkling hard teas, it's like, it's like a premium alternative to a hard seltzer. We use better quality ingredients. There's more taste as a result. And yeah, we're a little more expensive. So once you've kind of OD'd on White Claw and, and Truly and, you know, whatever other seltzers you have at your disposal, you graduate. Just like, you know, if you were a light beer drinker in college, maybe you graduate towards craft beer on a special occasion or all the time. So the point of differentiation for us is a better for you product. So we're at 90 calories and zero sugar, but with a better tasting liquid. So we use organic brewed tea, we use real juice. So there's some actual color and we use a little bit of, sorry, a little, a little New York city background noise here. We use a little bit of monk fruit to naturally sweeten it. Monk fruit is by far the best natural sweetener out there. And if you guys are big cocktails guys, there's actually monk fruit, simple syrups coming out that help you dramatically reduce the amount of sugar you're using in a cocktail without compromising on taste. So what a lot of people say about Loverboy when they, when they taste our sparkling hard tea is like, oh, wow, this tastes better than a hard seltzer. And I'm like, exactly. That's my right. goal. <laughs> That's fantastic. So can, I, can I just say, you did the, the, the combination of you sitting, you're sitting in a lab trying out these, these tastes and, and, and the sort of philosophy behind and that all sounds it, it sounds it sounds kind of fun as well to be really part of the kind of product you're making and then and, and then trying and then testing it out and then seeing people's reactions. Oh, yeah. The combination as well of what you said earlier of having an MBA, at what point I mean I'm probably jumping the gun here on the question, but at what point did that become, you know, having established a product, how did the whole thing develop, as it were, with you know, using the business side of things? Well, for me, I'm always looking for like what I call my, my grand slam. I've been doing startups for over 10 years. And when you start something from scratch and you put a ton of money into it, it's going to be timing. It's going to be product. It's going to be your actual experience and the ability to pull it off. And it's going to be luck. And with, with Loverboy, I was able to check all those boxes for the first time. And so from a business standpoint, when I say I dove in head first, I mean, literally, I had another company that I already put close to $100,000 in. I literally put that company on the back burner because I was so convinced that these ready-to-drink hard seltzers and cocktails were going to be the next big thing that changes a $250 billion industry in the U.S., let alone, you know, billions across the world, uh, trillions across the world. So, yeah, you kind of do that trust your gut and... For a lot of entrepreneurs, you hear about the success stories 
like the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world where he hit his grand slam at his first at bat. But in reality, that's just not how it works. You have to be determined and you have to learn from your failures. And it took me 10 years. And, and, and listen, good luck to you. But I, there is also, there's, there's, it is still one of the more sort of, I guess, flooded marketplaces in the drink space now currently, as far as new things emerging. And we've had other guests on who have had other drinks, not similar, actually different to yours, but nonetheless in a can, for example, which is becoming more popular, especially with cocktails and pre-mixed cocktails and things like that. We had a guy called Steven Eisen on who um, is known for his loci bracelets, but he recently came out with a whole line of elements drinks, which are sort of flat waters and things, but they have you know, special ingredients and stuff that perhaps help you with your mental capacity or have like some other help you sleep or help you, you know, I don't know, become a better person from the inside out kind of thing from what you drink. Is there an element of any other special ingredient that you might want to put in there, the ashikawangas or whatever they call these funny chemicals and, and herbs and spices that you might put in that might do something else too by, I don't know, add some other element to the drink? Yeah. So, I mean, kind of what you're describing are like functional beverages, right? Where there's actual ingredients being used that have a purpose. Right. Look, for, for, for alcohol, it's no secret that you drink too much of it and it's going to have a negative effect on your body. There are things you can do to kind of counteract some of that. The first is cutting out the sugar. When a lot of people confuse a, an alcohol, a hangover from alcohol with a hangover from sugar. So, that was the first step with Lover Boy. We're going to make better for you products by using better quality ingredients and cutting out the sugar. The next step is, yeah, playing around in the lab with some of these, you know, these functional ingredients that could potentially have a positive impact. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. There's just so much opportunity right now to use better quality ingredients and cut out the sugar and alcohol that that's the low-hanging fruit. So you made a drink that tastes great. That's not fattening, and you get pissed when you. Well, you know, I mean, it's, it's an alcoholic drink, right? So there's a well, you don't have anything, you know, it has an effect of alcohol. So when you when you're marketing that, right, you've got to be. This is kind of just, let's say discerning. You've got a discerning audience with that. You know, not how many people have heard of kind of you know white tea. You know, the, the ingredients you're putting in are things that are, that are quite new and they're good for you. So people are looking at this thing. This is okay. This is healthy. This is low sugar. This is going to be fun. You know, I can have one of these. It's like having gin and tonic without all the, without the kind of all the sugars and stuff. So you've got your, if you find your market for that, right, you find your, you find a demographic or the people who are going to, who are going to be attracted to this drink. Am I right in thinking that it's a particular kind of demographic of people who drink it? Or is it something that you kind of, but you want everyone to, to be drinking? Like where, where would you, where'd you go with it? Sure. So I think the, 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 the kind of perfect meat in the middle where you can kind of cater towards two massive audiences is the better for you. And then the great tasting. And if you can pull off both of those, that is the billion dollar idea. And, and quite frankly, in alcohol, if, the, if you think about it, 99% of the products sold today don't even have a nutrition panel. Like that's, I, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but like in the U S it wasn't until a year ago that Bud Light put a nutrition panel on their beer. And that was remarkably a point of differentiation. Alcohol's 10 years behind the rest of food and beverage. So with Loverboy, it's like, I, I want to appeal to the people that are like, my God, how is he 38 partying 
you know, and, and, and still taking his shirt off on, on TV. Well, I, I'm very mindful of what I consume and alcohol was always when I kind of would fly off the rails until I started Loverboy. Then you have the people that are like, I don't care about the nutrition component. It tastes amazing. And that, like I said, if you can pull off both those, you know, that's the billion dollar idea. So you by putting the nutrition kind of by making staking that as a kind of central part of the product, you're actually kind of getting ahead of said whatever authorities are going to start, you know, insisting on food labeling and stuff like that. You're, you're, you're doing it anyway. You're going ahead and, and you're, you're jumping the gun saying, we're not going to wait for, for it to be told to do this. We're going to do it and use it as a, as a force for good. Right. So, for example, I mean, I, I can't take the credit within hard seltzers, right? Because the hard seltzers were the first to put the nutrition panel on their beverages. And boom, all of a sudden you have a light, refreshing, healthy alternative to beer. But we took it a step further. So our spritz product, which is a canned cocktail, uh, it's an ultra premium product that unlike most ready to drink cocktails is also better for you. So, you know, to make a drink that tastes this good, that has zero added sugar, all of the, you know, our, our teas are zero sugar. These are zero added sugar. So the two, three, four grams are from the juice purees and concentrates that we're using. It's, so it's, it's completely naturally sweetened with real fruit. The, the fact that we put the label on a ready drink cocktail, I mean, trust me, you don't want to see the label on most ready drink cocktails. And if you're that curious, it's somewhere buried on the internet. And one of these days, the government will, will catch up and you know, force the, the, the brands to put labels on all of this. But we want to be ahead of the curve. No, I mean, it's, it's definitely an interesting space. I mean, I think the, there's no doubt that in the alcohol space, most people don't want to know or aren't drinking because, you know, something for health reasons at all. I mean, it's clearly the one time when you're like, you know, you're treating yourself or, you, you know, it's probably bad for you. I mean, no one's drinking thinking yeah. this is good for me, <laughs> unless you're like my great aunt who would have a cocktail and say it was a sort of mycidinal reasons and she lived until she was 96, you know, half pickled. You know, that's different. Defied all odds. In, in the UK, certainly, you know, if you want to go for a non-fat, uh, low-fat low drink, you know, you stay off the white wine, you stay off the rosé, you stay on the side and you drink vodka. The theory is you drink vodka and soda with a little bit of lime yeah. juice. That's about the healthiest drink you're going to drink. Sure. And then, and then you feel like a robot because your life is so boring. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, no, no, I can't remember the last time I had one. By the way, is your product over here? Is it in the UK? It's, it's not yet. We're not even in the vast majority of the US right now because our, our teas are sold through beer distributors. It requires four to 500 of them to cover the country. Beer is very fragmented here in the US from a distribution standpoint. So we are working diligently to expand. That's half the reason why we launched a canned cocktail because we could sell this online in almost every state. But the UK, I mean, is one of the more, I think it's a top three country when it comes to ready to drink beverages. So, I mean, I would love to, to be able to expand and, and help give people something that it tastes amazing that doesn't cause them to fly off the rails. It's like, like you're both saying, sometimes with alcohol, you're like, oh, I'm treating myself because it's the weekend. And, you know, how else do I enjoy a great tasting alcoholic beverage? I mean, that's kind of where it all started with Loverboy. We, we were drinking these, these hard teas that had 
almost 600 calories and almost 60 grams of sugar in these big, in these big 24 ounce cans. You drink a couple of those. It's like you're literally over your sugar intake for the week, let alone the day. So I, I think that's, that's the idea is like help people understand that there's an alternative. They can still treat themselves to an alcoholic beverage, but it doesn't have to be horrible for you. It's, it's Tom, what, what are we going to do, mate? How many people have we had on who recently have been telling us about our diet and what, how, you know, how to improve our, what we're eating and consuming? Meanwhile, Tom and I have spent an entire lifetime of basically drinking, boozing and eating just about whatever we wanted whatever we wanted and, and having the best cocktails in our life. And now everyone who comes on is uh, talking about the sugar content in the drink. Yeah. Yeah, but all guys, stuff like, guys, the big difference, the big difference between anyone else I've spoken to in today's podcast is I'm really excited <laughs> about Loverboy coming to the UK because literally the alternative is vodka and soda and lime. All right. So the sooner, and, and also there, there is this kind of weird little market where People do funky looking cans with kind of healthy looking, you know, healthy looking cocktails. But again, we insist on the labeling, right? So we've got the food label on it and, it, and they're not yeah. good for you. But the idea that you're actually, you're going to produce something that's basically a health drink, but as a cocktail with alcohol in it is, is very, very exciting because I stopped drinking this about 20 minutes ago when he started talking because it's got sugar around the room and the latest one. <laughs> And I wait, I, I'm now so you completely put me off my cocktails. It's far to taste too sweet. Yeah. Already got a hangover. You can treat yourself once in a while, right? A couple sugar rims tonight, no big deal. Thanks. <laughs> it's, not, it's not once in a while, Kyle. This has been a lifetime of treating oneself. <laughs> That's why I'm excited about turning a corner, getting Loverboy in the UK. Well, I'm on. honored that I'm honored that our product excites you. Um, yeah. you know, I definitely want to. I mean, to expand international would be a dream come true because I'm fortunate enough people watch Summer House in other countries. So I feel like we already have a little bit of a, of a head start should we expand. It's just a, you know, we're, we're a small little team with so much ahead of us. So we're just, um, right now it's one state at a time, but one of these days. But again, though... We were having that conversation the other day with a, with a, with a friend of mine about whiskey. He was doing whiskey in Vermont. He was explaining the distribution horrors yeah. that exist in America. They're totally non-joined up. Like, no one's joining the dots. It's a nightmare. And actually, he was mentioning that, you know, that he's, he's trying to get online because that seems to be the only sensible way you can actually get your product out there instead of having to fight every single state to find your distributor who don't want to take you on unless you're selling 60,000 cans a week or whatever it is. I mean, somewhere like the yeah. UK, there's a significant, I mean, there's a significantly smaller population, obviously, than, than, you know, than the United States. But our alcohol consumption is quite high. And also, there's no distribution issues here. I mean, I think if you find a distrib distributor, you can, uh, sadly, until quite recently, it used to be the UK and the whole of Europe. Now it's just the UK. But I mean, I'd imagine there would be, wow. be a great market for, for your product here. Well, I mean, that's, that's actually an interesting thing I hadn't thought about. I mean, you're right. Distribution is the big challenge in the US. You know, whether you're a wine, beer, spirit, there's different laws and different regulations and different distributors that you have to use. And beer is probably the most challenging because, like I said, it takes four to five hundred to cover the country. Like if you've got a great whiskey and you put in the effort to build a brand, what you hope is the Southern Glazers distributes you in 46 states. Yeah. That, there's no such thing in beer. So 
it's a one state, one market at a time type play. That's why they're the, the best craft beers in the U.S. took 20, 30 years to expand nationally, believe it or not. The fact that the U.K., I could maybe flip a switch. Now you have my attention. <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah. It was a huge market. And, 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 you know, like as Tom said, it's sort of despite the fact that it, the population size is you know, a fraction of the US, clearly, I mean, England fits twice into the state of Texas, but there is a population of 60 million people there. So it's still not insignificant. And those 60 million people are all sort of, you know, not I say all, there's a English people are known to enjoy their tipple. So, you know, it is a, an alcohol enjoying, enjoying country. Now, I see you have this lady walking behind you who I thought was holding a dog. But it, 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 it is a dog, right? Is this Amanda that is behind you? It's Amanda. And, and we also have Milton, our, our rescue dog that we are fostering. Hi, Amanda. Hi. How Hi are you? Look at Milton. Hi, Milton. Sir Milton. He, he Sir is. Milton, no less. Jack Russell. He's a Jack yes. Russell. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. So we took him getting, getting a, a rescue but that is a Jack Russell is pretty unusual. Well, he was the breeder, if you catch my drift. Oh. He was in a cage making, I don't know, hundreds, maybe thousands of Jack Russells. <laughs> I see. Well, there you go. So that's actually the true lover boy right there. I know a lot of people are telling us that he, he should be the mascot because he's the true lover boy. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I've got Amanda on at the moment as well. You guys, how are you coping? What, how's this pandemic been for the two of you during this sort of engagement period and all the rest of it? I mean, I, hey, now I've got you too. <laughs> Surprise, two points. It's been, I say a roller coaster a lot, but it has really been a roller coaster. And let me just put the, let me provide some context. We started the pandemic while watching season four of Summer House. So we were le reliving our summer. And some of it, you know, wasn't the smoothest sailing. We have our startup that we both work on full-time. We have a wedding that we're supposed to be planning. Did I miss any other sources of stress in our life? Um, it was like the perfect storm. <laughs> yeah. So it, sources of stress. I mean, planning the wedding. I mean, isn't that a fun thing? Is that Why is that so stressful? Not knowing if it would happen was the stressful part. And then deciding whether or not to put money down on a business that may no longer be in business in a few months. And then where does your deposit go then? So there's a lot of like- She, she had just quit her job to, to join Loverboy full-time a couple months prior to the pandemic. So it was- Yeah, so then we were living together full-time, working together full-time, just the two of us. Something that we've, we've never spent that much time together <laughs> alone. So it was, uh, we learned a lot about each other. Who would have thought? And you're still, you're still together as I see you scratch your neck and I look know, over I'm your like, shoulder. I know, I've learned so you much. Um, yes. By the way, I'm, I'm, my other life is I run, I have a wedding events business and a wedding venue. And the amount of people, people I've had to move from March last year through to, I've now moved up to June this year. And... And I've said to people, don't, I've, going forward, I've just said, don't bother. I don't want to take any bookings for next year until we know what's going on. There's no point. I don't want you, you know, because so many places have put these, you know, guys like you have put their money down for places and they're just going to get bust. I and mean, there's going to be, you know, things like events businesses and wedding businesses, there's nothing happening. You know, you're, you're going to be out of business for 12, well, I mean, 18 months. Events business, how, how anyone's going to survive? I mean, a lot, a lot aren't. Well, yeah. that was the... 
it was nerve wracking to, to be putting money down because our original wedding day was September of this, of this past year. So yeah. we were supposed to be putting all this money down with other vendors like florists, photographers, you name it. Yeah. And their whole business revolves around, Hey, take the deposits now for stuff that you do later. Yeah. Well, all of a sudden that equation doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Cash flow. Now suddenly if you get into my position as well as a, as an owner, I've got this next tranche coming because we've now been shut for a year. You've got people you've already moved twice. And you're sitting there thinking, well, Christ, you know, if they all start saying, can we have our money back? It's going to be like, well, you know, because we've been running an empty venue for the last year. So it doesn't run on, you know, it doesn't run off you. It's, it's crazy. Oh, yeah. it, it breaks my heart because everybody, I, I do feel for these other business owners like yourself, like, like our wedding venue owner, you know, it's, it's, right. a, it's a really tough dynamic that we're all in. Yeah. And then, you know, the fear also is like putting booking, you know, these vendors and then having to change our date and then the vendor no longer being available and then having yeah. to like find. So it's just like, there are so many unknowns and like, I have hard enough time making a decision to have to make a decision on something that might not even happen. <laughs> it was like, the important thing, despite all of that specific aspect is between the two of you, are we now more in love because of the pandemic? But or of course. <laughs> you've discovered having spent so much time with this lover boy that perhaps he's going to, he's definitely your lover boy for life. Yes. We really learned how to communicate well with each other during quarantine. Express <laughs> our feelings and emotions with words. You know, the problem with the, pod, with the podcast is people can't see all the, uh, the oh. language, the body language. And trust me, you can tell perhaps just in the voice, but it's, it's incredibly <laughs> endearing. But it's the, you're talking about this and you're looking up at him almost <laughs> like hoping he's going to nod in approval or agree or be a part of it. Like, it, I know it's, I know I'm putting you guys on the spot. Him. Yeah. <laughs> no, I look at him because it's just, it's funny. And, you know, we, I feel like we talk about this a lot. My biggest issue with him for so long was uh, his communication and the, you know, how we communicated and this pandemic just uh, fixed that for us. So I'm, I'm happy about it. <laughs> I didn't know it was fixed. So I'm glad we did this podcast. Uh, I've <laughs> gone ahead and checked that box. No, I was going to say, by the way, I'm going to be sending you, a, a, you know, like a, an actual invoice for the therapy session. That is <laughs> Um, I'm getting my Dr. Phil moment on and I love it. And I also love the fact that you don't, both of you are like helicopter parents for your dog because you're both looking over your shoulder at every given moment. Is, is the dog like a terror? Is it about to oh, pee no, he's, there or something? He's just not potty trained. So I don't want him peeing on the well, couch. Well, not this to was, mention. This is my. Not to mention. My thing. He, as we discussed, he was the lover boy at the puppy mill that he was rescued from. So one of the first steps towards his next chapter in life was getting his, um, his, you know, what snips. So he got neutered. So hang on a minute. So you rescued him in inverted commas from a puppy mill where he was basically spent all day. Well, we call it covering in England, you know, having Lego with other dogs. So you rescued, took this dog out of this environment, cut his balls off. And then, and then, you like kind of worry about house training him, whether he can feel, I think he's probably got other things on his mind, right? He's probably peeing on your sofa on purpose. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, the way you describe it that way, Tom, that sounds like we didn't rescue him. We just created his worst nightmare. Yeah. I mean, think about it, lover boy. When was the last time you took a guy out of a situation where he was lined up with all the girls he could ever dream of in front of him? And he was like, actually, I'm taking you from that. I'm going to snip your balls off and I'm going to put a little coat on you. And then you're not going to be able to even have a pee without us all looking at you every five seconds. I mean, so about it is because we do have to like care for his sutures i've had to like ice it put ointment on it we have a little bit of a tear and like a true man while i'm playing with his junk he falls oh. asleep <laughs> <laughs> so first of all amanda that isn't actually what most men do i'm not quite sure what happened in your pandemic experience but I'll just let you know <laughs> she's like kyle if you could just I fall asleep more often for that one He's enjoying it. He's not bothered by it. He's he finds it relaxing and enjoyable. Now, to be fair, <laughs> we didn't rescue him. He was rescued by a legitimate outfit because the puppy mill was not the, the conditions were classified as you know animal abuse. I just want to make sure that's known for the listeners. I'm all for propagating. Is that the right word? I don't know. You've managed to turn something quite innocent, like adopting a dog, into sounding like some kind of FBI bust. With no, no, no. I think that was a speech for all the other Jack Russells. For all the other Jack Russells out there, I'd just like to be clear that it wasn't in no way, shape, or form as this. <laughs> I would recommend that all the dogs in the neighborhood come and dump on your front door, actually. Really, what I'm, re- I'm going to tell them all right now, I'm being a barker myself. I mean, I've got an in. <laughs> Right, so you know, Kyle. Look, guys, I, I wish you the best of luck. I, I think we're going to do some. We have a little thing on on shaking the stud. It's last orders, and if Amanda, if you want to hang around for this, you can maybe help Kyle out. It's a little sort of um, you know rapid fire questions, and you know, I think he might need your help. Actually, I am very verbose, so uh, she'll, she'll hold Quick. me accountable. We practice this. Okay, <laughs> I might have to toss it to one and then the other. Okay, the first question up here: Italian or French? French. Italian. Ooh, Kyle. <laughs> With a name like Cook. Cookie. 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 <laughs> All right, here you go. London or Paris? I'm going Paris. <laughs> I love my guys. We're made for each other. This is too good. <laughs> you haven't agreed on anything yet. I love it. I'm going to love this one. This is like, couldn't be better. <laughs> Oh my god, we gotta do this more often and get the other half in. Opposites attract, by the way. It's a good thing. You're good. <laughs> oh, we um, built the relationship on that. What gets your goat and what floats your boat? Kyle and Kyle. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, a really good homemade chocolate chip cookie just really floats my boat and gets my goat. I, by the way, I haven't heard that saying before. I'm gonna start using that. I would just say, uh, a home that is not clean. <laughs> Why are you looking at Amanda like that? I have so many, I get so many orders. I have boxes and returns and I just- uh, They pile up. Yeah. They pile yeah. up. I mean, it's a pandemic for God's sakes. I have, I have a business to run, so I can't always focus on getting the returns out right away. Right? Love yeah. boy. She, she's really good about buying stuff and not returning it. There you go. Hey, I think my wife goes to Target just so that she can actually go back to Target and return things. That's like her favorite thing, is the return. Okay. In the movie of your life, who would you have play you? Well, who did I say I think was my favorite actor that I had a man crush on? 
Was it Bradley Cooper? That's who plays me. Wow. What do you think, Amanda? Is that right? Is that accurate? Uh, what do you think? I can see that. I don't know. He's got you better eyes. Damn it. You know, she does. she's got an answer. She knows exactly yeah, what Kyle, she's I'm exactly going to say, Amanda, who is it? Who would you, who would you have, have play him? I don't know. One of like the... Hanson brothers. Uh, I can't, I don't know who. Some obnoxious like frat boy from one of the college movies, like the like the extras. <laughs> wow! They once again zinger. <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. Oh no, I, I take that as a compliment. <laughs> I am incredibly fratty. There you go. Wow, my goodness. I know. I love the fact that Amanda is smiling from ear to ear, and Carl, you're looking incredibly serious. Very. Here's a very simple question for you: shaken or stirred? Shaken. <laughs> and we would have it no other way thank you so much Love oh my goodness. kyle cook uh, and amanda you guys and not to mention Loverboy and uh, um, and milton oh yeah thank you for all making an appearance on shaken and stirred show we've loved having you on here everybody you've got to check it out of course when is the new season? The new season, you're in the middle of the season right now, right? Yeah, it just kicked off last week. So in a couple hours is episode two of season five. Fantastic. Amazing. Great stuff. Good luck for you, to you all. We'll be watching and um, good luck with it. We really enjoyed having you on. And I know it's, a, it's tough with this pandemic and being sort of engaged and trying to, you know, keep it all together. But, you know, it, it's also a test. It's the best right, test. Exactly. One of these yeah. days we'll get this. We'll get you some of our lover boys, particularly the tea, because like, you know, I would think you like tea. If it all goes horribly wrong with your wedding venue, then come, you could come and use mine. There we go. I mean, that living room looks nice that you're in, so that'll, that'll yeah. do. Well, we're in the Cotswolds, though, so it's like, a, you know, it's a nice, let's say, Rolling Hills. It is gorgeous. I'm cold. I'm cold. We'll do it you need, That's where you need to go. That's definitely where you need to go for your engagement on, you know, on your way to Paris and then London, by the way. <laughs> Well, can you imagine if that's where this podcast wound up? We we end up getting married by Tom. Yeah, I think they changed the laws. I could do that by next year. I think <laughs> he's also very good at castration, so just be careful. <laughs> Fantastic having you on. All the best, guys. Take Thank care. You. Thank you so much. Nice to see you guys. Thank you very much for listening. That is Shaken Instead. We will be back next week with another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe. See ya.